Hello and welcome to a special Saturday episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with a very amazing, dynamic, talented, life-changing guest today. Laura has been, uh, she's the author of the book, The Six Habits. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about her upcoming TED Talk, which if you're listening to this on release day, is one week from today. It is going to be November 21st, the year 2020 going to be able to watch that. And I cannot wait to see it because as you will hear in the interview that I did with her, she's just just bubbling with excitement, very passionate, very knowledgeable. How can you not just want to hang out with this girl? She's absolutely incredible. So before we get to that, I wanted to let you know that Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, is now active and available. There are episodes that you can listen to. I started with uh, four right off the bat, the very first four songs off of Very Evie, Very Humble, their first studio album, and uh, I'm just going to keep going from there. It's been great to uh, to keep that podcast in the works and finally be able to release it to you guys, so check that out. It's on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher you know, all the common places. And if you want to go to the hub, just go to my website, scotthaskin.com, and then click on the Uriah Heat podcast link and all the links to uh, the major places where you can listen to there, or you could just stream it on the site. And then I also have uh, a list of all of the seasons of the show. And obviously we're only in the first season right now, but if you click on the first season and then there's the uh, episode page for each episode and a mini player that you can stream that episode while you're reading the lyrics and the notes and stuff I put in there. So it's a, it's a pretty cool setup and it's uh, been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, but definitely worth it. So check out Uriah Heap, the magician's podcast. And now let's find out how the conversation went with Laura. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I always say I'm excited every time I bring a guest on the show, but I am super excited because right from the moment that I met this wonderful young lady, she and I just hit it off like crazy. She is a fantastic author. She is my second guest who has done a TED Talk that you will be able to see very, very soon. Let us welcome to the show, Laura Benedetto. Laura, how are you? I am so good. It's not even funny. What's up? <laughs> I love it. Do you hear the difference between my radio voice and the voice I was using when we were speaking before the show? I don't know which one I like more. I guess we'll find out. Okay. I'll interject whichever one you prefer. Uh, <laughs> so I got to ask you just, just right off the bat, what the hell is wrong with us? Just in, in general terms, it seems like we, we really gravitate towards turmoil and negative and, and that's exciting. Like, like we're trying to live in a reality show. I don't know, but... <laughs> This is so messed up. You're making me think of like that, like that skit that um, George Carlin did about how people just want to pick scabs and like put them <laughs> in their little box. <laughs> I remember so that one. <laughs> oh, I got an appointment at four o'clock. I'm going to pick that scab. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's like humans are just, yeah, we just like the gross, the awful, the terrible, apparently. It seems like we like our our bodies when we're happy, like everything just connects and we, we want to be a part of everything. Why do we not want that? Like, why don't people work for that? It's know. probably too broad a if, question, I realize. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I would say like, I think that a lot of times we don't always um, go toward happiness because it seems like almost some, something like we've been socialized to 
demoralized. Like going after happiness is wrong because it makes you selfish. And like, you know, our society like socializes you to not do selfish things. So like you, you should give someone else the shirt off your back instead of having a shirt for yourself that you worked for. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and it's one of those things, I mean, take a look at mothers, you know, mothers are expected to sacrifice for their children. I mean, obviously fathers do as well, but they're expected. If you're, if your child is starving, you give up your food, your child eats, you don't. And it's like, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, I need something. Well, I know, but you know, I need it. So I have to come first. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's not a healthy way to be. And yet that's the society we've built. So Welcome to the jungle. We've got some weird stuff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I I subscribe to what I call the airplane theory, which is thank if you. you. If you listen to them, uh, we know when you you're getting in the airplane and then they give you all the instructions. They say, "Do not attempt to help someone else until you have securely fastened your mask." And I think that that's kind of life. Like you should have your own foundation before you start giving away things to everyone else. Bingo. So that's Nailed what it. that's what we're going to do. We're just I'm just going to pretend I'm on a plane all the time. <laughs> you should. I mean, honestly, I it's the whole basis for my work. So, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You're no stranger to being on a plane. No, um, you know, literally and figuratively, like a big part of the work that I do is, um, you know, helping people to realize that in order to serve others, you actually do have to serve yourself first. Um, and when you actually fill up your cup, you can share more abundantly, more freely. You can show up for others in a bigger, better way. Oh, and you don't feel guilty about it. But when you when you rob yourself blind, you're pouring from an empty cup, you're just tired and you're actually not that good. And that's really the programming that we're that we've been thrust into. Yeah, totally. It's like, oh, sacrifice self and then you're virtuous. Screw that. Right. Yeah. Doing it. I'm I'm sorry. I want a bicycle. I'm gonna go buy a bicycle. Well, I can't walk the street. You're making anymore. me think of that. That's the, the Queen song. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> you know, there's there's a great uh, Queen podcast called Lap of the Pods, and it's all of like every episode they review a Queen album, and I think they're nice. in Scotland, so they have these really nice thick accents too that makes it more interesting. I just picture them sitting around on uh, wooden crates and you know with a big bottle of lager and, and just talking about Queen. It's a great show, though. <laughs> Are they in kilts? In your mind? In my mind? Oh, absolutely. On? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm, okay. And and just like a bare chest with like a blue mark across it, just ready to go into battle. Yeah, and probably like tons and tons of curly chest hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. If you're going to so, visualize, do it right. I, yeah. If you're going to do it, do it all the way. But but right. you have, so to, to kind of gauge how happy people really are, you've created a quiz. Yeah, I have. Um, I love... Okay, so I'm a geek that loves spreadsheets and quizzes and tests and oh my god, give me a good quadrant. <gasps> this oh is why god. we get along. I'm such a dork and a proud dork, damn it. So <laughs> I found just being an entre entrepreneur for so many years, I thought I was happy because I was like checking all the boxes and doing all the things, but turns out, no, I wasn't happy. I had lots of things that looked like happiness from the outside, but nothing was truly happy on the inside. It was just this big hollow drum of like echo and it's like ooh, that that sucks and when i was able to see it oh i'm not as happy as i thought i was that is when i finally invited myself to do something about it but when you're living in denial you're just gonna stay on the hamster wheel and momentum for momentum's sake nope 
That's a really good point. And, and I, I think, too, that people are sometimes afraid to say they want things because maybe if they say it out loud, it won't happen. Like, uh, what, what do you call like, um, oh, like, like a superstition. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. But I think we need to give ourselves courage to be, you know, to say, I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy. Um, you know, I did. And um, so, yeah, people can go to my website, take the quiz. It's totally free. You can get um, it'll take you like maybe like two, three minutes to fill it out. But the thing is that people don't look for happiness in the places they should be looking for it. They always look at it through like things and status. And do you have enough awards? And do you have enough stuff? Do you have enough kids? Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's like, it's more than like how you think, you know? So you go through the questions and then at the end of it, it's like, you know, how happy are you really, you know? And that's the truth. We need to operate from a place of truth. That's, that's kind of how I live my life is my, you know, Truth, logic, facts, science, those are my basis for every decision that I make. Hmm. That's really interesting. It's, it's hard for me to kind of grasp the idea of science and happiness because science is just so almost cold sometimes and, and just so straightforward. And happiness, there just seems to be so many variables. And yeah, but you can't really account for this on a spreadsheet. It's like it's just a feeling sometimes. Yeah, it is. But, you know, science also includes the mental sciences, like psychology. That's a science, you know. That's true. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's a study of like thought and, you know, like feelings and emotion and like all of that is science as well. And so, you know, um, I was actually delighted to discover in all the research that I was doing leading up to um, writing my book and trying to change my own life that, oh, Turns out you can apply a nice nerdy little formula to happiness. It's actually really scientific. It's easy. And if you can get your brain to do these six things, you can have anything you want in your life because you will no longer be an obstacle. Well, wait a minute. Book, are you talking about the six habits? Did that sound commercial enough? I think it did, Scott. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Let me tell you what you won. <laughs> <laughs> it seems you know oh, my Lord. it just seems stopped. like it's too easy to narrow it down to to a few things but really i think that's the problem is that we're always thinking that well that's just another formula or it really isn't that but yet it is because we don't need it to be a giant thing sometimes it's the simple oh. things that make the biggest difference well, it is the simple things and and this is the thing that probably like just rocked me to my core you know, because I've read a million books. I love reading. Reading's my jam, you know, like listening, reading, watching shows like TED Talks. My God, like I love all of that. And, you know, the, I mean, I remember one of the first books I ever read. Love it. Still do. But I just I couldn't meet its expectations because that's just not how I'm wired. Uh, it's called The Miracle Morning. It's by this guy in Texas, Hal Elrod. He's great. The book is great. I think that people... um would love the book if they like having rituals and they love having the same little formula for success of stuff they do every morning. I am an entrepreneur rebel. I cannot get myself to do the same thing over and over, but I can get myself to think the same thing over and over because I don't have to make extra time for it. I do not want to sit there and meditate every day as much as I would like to. I'm more of like if, when I feel like a kind of gal. I don't want to drink celery juice. Sorry, I just don't. Um, I had to force myself to floss. It's good for you. Turns out you get cavities if you don't do it. Um, 
like, you know, I, I exercise when I climb a mountain, not because I go to the gym. Like, I'm just not the type of person that's really good at forcing myself to do things. So when I actually did the work to realize that real happiness actually originates from within and it's all about your thoughts, I was like, oh, I feel like I could actually do that. Like, that's tangible. So that's that was the thing that, like, blew me right out of my shoes. And it's crazy because, like, I started all of this stuff in a quest to make my own self happy because I wasn't. And then the more I went down the rabbit hole and started testing my theories and like working on myself and sharing it with my friends and clients and whatever, I was like, oh my God, this is a gift. This is, this is big. Like I thought I just created or like stumbled upon something really small and just like, oh, whatever, that's cute. Nope. The more I learned, the more I edited and tweaked. And I was just like, this was actually given to me in such a casual way by the God, universe, somebody. I feel like there's no conceivable way that my own little limited human brain could have come up with this because it's so simple, it's so pure, and it's so like Laura proof. Like, <laughs> like that's really important. Like, I am such a stubborn human. And if I could actually get my little ADHD, stubborn, I don't want to do anything brain to actually do it. I mean, that's liberation for me. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the reason that people fail at things and in, in like a diet, for example, is because they're doing things that are really extreme and that make them miserable to do it. It's not enjoyable to follow the process. So at some point they're going to cheat on the diet and then say, well, this diet didn't work. But what made you decide to pursue happiness? Was there something that just kind of woke you up one day or was it something that kind of developed over time? Yeah, it was a huge wake up call. So I started a company at 19 and, and not because I'm a badass. I just want to be really clear about that because some people are like, oh, my God, you started a company at 19. I'm like, yeah, whoo, before you get too impressed, hang on there a second. I had 14 jobs in one year, quit half, got fired from the other half. I was unemployable. I kind of had no choice. <laughs> so um, just hold off on the adulation here. Um, I was just the unemployable. So I started a company. You know, just kind of doing my own thing. And um, I worked at it really hard for like 19 years. And I, I got to the like, quote unquote, finish line where I was like, I'm going to move on and do something else. And I was like sitting around basically in a pile of all my quote unquote prizes. You know, I had a house full of beautiful stuff. I had a beautiful home. I had gone everywhere in the world. I had money, you know, wonderful husband. I had all the beautiful things on paper that should theoretically make you a happy person, except I was kind of a miserable loser. Like in my head, I was just ungrateful, grumpy, and I was feeling so depressed. I hated myself and I was ashamed of my accomplishments. Like it wasn't enough. And oh my God, it was so toxic. I was, I was my own toxic waste site. So like when this happened, um, just everything came to a head and I was like, okay, um, I should be happy right now. I'm not, something's wrong. And I started to look as an entrepreneur, cause that's what we do. Um, we look at problems and we solve problems all day long. I looked at it and I was like, I think I've been getting this happiness thing wrong. I don't know how I've been getting it wrong. So I should probably figure that out. Not sure that I've got the definition right. So let's actually find out what is happiness for real. How can I find it? How is it created? So what I found out was that um, happy things are not 
um, they're not the source of happiness. They're actually the result of happiness. Um, and that's the thing that like really blew me right out of my shoes. Um, I also found that happiness is abundant in people that had six core thought patterns or mental habits. And, um, that was the, the crazy part. And honestly, it just came down to, huh, I wonder if I could do this. I wonder if I could actually learn to think this way. So I started looking at it and I was, you know, discovering what science has to say about habit. As marketers will tell you, it's 21 days and 30 days. No, it's not. That's a lie. I say this as the CEO of marketing company. All lies. Science says that it's minimum 66 days to form a new habit. If you're going to retrain your brain, and I'm about to be 40 in like five minutes here. Um, when you've spent like 38 years treating yourself like absolute garbage, unlearning that is going to take a minute. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah. So it just took me a while to figure it out. And I learned more as I went. I, I still learn more now. I mean, I was invited to give a TED talk. And when I was writing the thing, I'm still learning. I'm just like, wow, I keep peeling back the layers. And it blows my mind of how beautifully simple it is, but also how like universal, accessible and frustrating it can be. Well, sure. It's, it's, we tend to think of ourselves last a lot of times. And on top mm -hmm. of that, we tend to think badly of ourselves because we're doing things for other people. We're told that, you know, you need to give. And then we just because of that, that tells you in your mind that I'm not deserving of this shirt. It's more important for this other guy that I don't even know to have it. And Correct. that does so much more than like you should feel good about giving. But it's not that you're giving because you want to, you're giving because of the pressure and you're telling yourself that you don't deserve it. Correct. Well, um, I am on a mission in life to help others to joyfully put themselves first, invest in themselves, find the happiness. Because, you know, for years I was in pain and I didn't even know it. And it was when I got to like the end where I had like kind of like a really big accomplishment come to fruition and felt like just total numbness. That's when I had my wake up call and I realized, wow, other people are on the same damn hamster wheel and they think they're happy, but they're not. And actually, you know what the bigger wake up call was? It was the fact that I had actually been really sick for three years. It was getting worse and I didn't know what was wrong. Oh, it was actually that's stress. Scary. Yeah. Oh, sure. It was, it was wicked scary. I hated it. I was like, I'm going to die. That's it. This is how it ends. I'm doomed. Well, I think in a way we are, if we're not pursuing happiness, like real happiness in our lives, if we're not doing things that fulfill us, we're kind of dying already. We just don't, yeah. we're not seeing it because it's not in the matter of symptoms or something that you could go to a doctor and go, hey, why do I feel lethargic all the time? Well, the doctor's not going to come Correct. back with, well, you're not happy. He's going to say you need potassium. Yeah, no, exactly. Here, here's a banana. Um, right. No, I feel <laughs> exactly. you. I think... Um, this banana will solve all your problems. Well, don't get um, me wrong. Bananas are delicious, but they're not, you know, they're, that's fleeting happiness. Totally. I mean, and honestly, having a child, fleeting happiness, it's wonderful. Oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. Oh, I can't wait for them to say their first word. And then as soon as four months later, would you shut up? <laughs> like, you know, oh, my God, I can't wait for them to walk. Would you stop running around like you start a business? Oh, my God, this is so great. Three years in, oh my God, if I have to do one more proposal, I'm going to scream. You know what I'm saying? Things lose their luster because what happens is, and I realized this, and I was doing this for years, we get caught 
in a negative and destructive cycle of chasing highs. Because what happens is we pursue something, marriage, love, child, whatever. We achieve it, whatever it is. Then we get the emotional high. Woohoo! But then we get the emotional crash because the high wears off. A high, like ask any drug user, will tell you the high wears off and you got to get another one. You got to get a bigger one. Right. So you end up, what you're doing is you're constantly chasing highs from the next bigger or better thing and you burn your ass out exactly the way I did. You burn out. You know, I, I'm grateful I realized I was, I was heading for death. And I think a lot of people don't and then they do die. But I think about like a, a skier, for example, you know, at first you're like, okay, well, we'll do the bunny hills and we'll learn how to, you know, deal with the moguls and stuff. And then you go to the bigger hills and and uh, different courses and stuff. But at some point, done the be- the biggest runs that they have. And you're like, yeah. okay, well, um, now what? You know, and, and exactly. then you maybe start extreme skiing and doing things that, you know, you could die at any second. And, but at some point, right. you're going to run out of those things. And then you're really going to be hurting because there's no fix to get. Correct. But if you can actually learn, which I did, um, how to source genuine happiness, you know, the real stuff, the real deal from within yourself, you no longer need happiness from the new car, you know, like more sex, more money, more accomplishments, the next greatest song that gives you chills, like anything. Like I love life and cars and music and sex and drugs and rock and roll, all the things, right? Sure. Like, but that's not happiness. But if you can find it within yourself, first of all, you're never going to run out. It's actually an unlimited supply, as I found. And when life punches you in the face, thank you to, you know, 2020. Um, but when it life punches you in the face, you can actually be you can punch back and be like, oh, hell no, you're not kicking me down. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. And you can actually rise up, you innovate, you figure something out instead of going down like a chump. Like nobody wants to be a quitter. Nobody wants to find their happiness as a result of things. People want happiness that lasts and touches every corner of their lives. And when we actually find it from within ourselves, oh my God, it's better. So much better. You show up better to others. You're a better boss, better musician, better lover, better friend, better everything. Well, would you say that, how do I want to say this? Would you say that people have been misguided as to what happiness is? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we've been trained to externalize it and look at the cover of any magazine. You know, you've got like all these, like even friends, even that show friends on TV, there is no way that those people could have had those jobs and had that apartment. That is not a realistic. No, it's not what it does. I'm laughing because I have thought that over and over again. I know how much apartments out there cost and they, the jobs they had would not make that kind of money. Well, no, exactly. So what we're doing is we're constantly shown unattainable ideals and we're expected to live up to them. You know, the cute apartment with the blue door and the picture frame over the peephole that's really big and can fit lots of people in New York City. Yeah, okay, and you're a barista, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or like, you know, some of these other shows or movies or some of these celebrities whose lives are way beyond the realm of most people's grasp, right? Um, but then you look at magazine covers and you get these airbrushed women. They don't even look like that. Right. Like, why should you try to look like that? Like, you know, women get condemned for having cellulite or, oh my God, how dare you have wrinkles? You sinner. 
you know, like what a crime to get old. Oh no. And it's like, we're forced to believe that you must be perfect at all times. You must have, you must live beyond your means. You must project an image of prosperity, success, and happiness, but not actually be happy. And that's the thing that I take such umbrage with, with Hollywood and with all these other things. It's like, you're setting people up to fail. Oh, absolutely. And and now it's even so accessible to people at home. I mean, look at these apps where you can just smooth out your skin and look perfect. And whenever I see people posting those kind of pictures, I'm like, I know you used an app. You Nobody looks like that. Stop it. Just be you. Be proud of who you are. You know, it actually took me a while to get to that point. So I've got wrinkles. They bother me. I've got purple bags under my eyes. They bother me. And I've got a couple of freckles on my face. I mean, I have tons of freckles, but just a few that are darker than the rest. But I remember having a photo shoot when I was down in Costa Rica. And um, I remember getting the photos back and they were heavily airbrushed. And I was like, girl, what are you doing? I don't even look like that. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I just thought I'd smooth out your skin. Can you not please? No, like, please do not smooth out my wrinkles of which I don't have many. I hate saying it, but leave these things because I never, ever, ever want any woman to look at any part of my life, including my photos and be like, oh, she's fake. No, bitch, I have cellulite. I have a squishy tummy because I refuse to exercise. I love ice cream. I have wrinkles because I'm almost 40. Like, yeah, I've run the miles. I don't need to be perfect, but I'm still a joyful, brilliant, happy, thrilled person. And you can be too. And it doesn't matter what you look like or what you have for that matter. I would way rather have somebody in my life who has that kind of attitude who you know, than, than a supermodel or somebody who, you know, gets put on those magazines because I, I, it just doesn't matter what people look like to me. I mean, I appreciate when, when somebody takes time to get dressed up or whatever, but it just, it's just not important. I care about who you are, not what you are. Right. Correct. I feel the exact same way. Although in the green room, you did say that you look like you got run over by a bus, which I found very funny. I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, not as flat. I look every morning. <laughs> yeah. But I want to now I want to talk to you about your TED talk. But first, I, I want to ask you about a, a question about the, the six habits, because the first thing that really struck me was the fact that kindness even has to be brought up. It seems like, you know, that should just be a natural thing. We should be kind to each other. We should be kind to ourselves. But that's almost just become taken over by I'm right. I'm better than you. I'm more important. I, I I think we've really lost our path on that. Yeah, I think so. But listen, first time someone hears the word kindness in in a sentence, you know, you know, practice kindness. Automatically, your thought goes to how you treat others and given like a buck or two to a homeless guy and not yourself. Correct. We always put ourselves last, even when we first hear about the concept of happiness, right? Or kindness, rather. Um, so, yeah, you know, we'll we'll think about kindness externally, and we won't really fully internalize it as a concept that is um, how we think, act, and speak to ourselves with love. You know, it's interesting that you say that one time uh, before I moved here to Vegas, I used to come up here quite frequently. It was my getaway. And I was sitting at the bar one night having a drink or several, and I'm watching (laughs) the number on the progressive slot machines just keep going up and up. 
And I kind of stopped it in my head at one point, And I thought, if I want it now, like right where it is now, what would I do with that money? And it was like $400,000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I would do this for this person. I would do that for that person. By the time I got to me, there was almost nothing left. And that was kind of my realization because wow. I realized that okay. I was not taking care of myself enough. I didn't think enough of myself to to be important in that situation. And if I'm doing it there, where else aren't I doing it? You weren't important enough to you. Exactly. That's painful to realize, but that's the realization I actually want all of us to have because, you know, we put our other's needs first and it's like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to tell them that I need them to turn the TV down because I just don't want to make them uncomfortable. And, you know, uh, actually, uh, yeah, I'm getting a headache that TV needs to come down. Like, sorry, in being kind to others, it should not come at the expense of kindness to yourself. That's right. I'm going to repeat that. In being kind to others, it should not come at the expense of being kind to yourself. There are ways to coexist. And if you can't find it, look harder. Like I, you know, my husband and I, we are both incredibly fiery people. Okay. He has his needs. I have mine, blah, blah, blah. I was working. I was on a podcast earlier today. And, um, you know, he's like trying to think and he's trying to make calls to airlines and do all these things because we're moving soon. And, um, you know, he's like, oh my God, I'm so frustrated. I'm like, well, you know, I appreciate that you're frustrated. If you need to make calls, you can do it in the car, but I'm not going to try to make you comfortable at the expense of my comfort. I'm doing my show at my desk where I belong. You can move, you know? Um, It doesn't mean I don't love you or empathize with this frustration you're feeling, but it also means that my needs are very important right now and yours are too, but you have to solve it because you're an adult and I trust you to figure it out. And he's like, Ugh, you're right. You know? So <laughs> then of course, you know, he gets to his car and he's like, I love you. And I'm like, I love you too. You know? All <laughs> right. Yeah. But keep in mind, like our, our relationship, it, it's probably more like balls out honest than most people's. So if it sounds like, Oh my God, you're such a bitchy wife. It's like, no, I just don't need to pull punches with him and any more than he needs to with me. I don't want that. But I think that's, that's kind of a, an interesting thing for people to have that perception because that is lacking for in most relationships, I think. And, and, you know, I just think of even friendships. People are so afraid to say, you know what, I don't like when you talk like that or that one thing that you do really upsets me. Can we, you know, find a way to exactly. work around? Like there's no real communication because everybody's so afraid of, of hurting each other. And of course, these days, if, if, if a raindrop falls on your shoulder, people get upset. I mean, we're just like so triggered oh, right now to explode. I know, I know. Meanwhile, it's like if you actually practice self-respect, it's actually a lot easier to respect other people. And like, I think one of the mistakes that people make about things like boundaries is that having boundaries or enforcing boundaries or telling people about your boundaries makes you uh, a repelling jerk with walls up. No, boundaries just means these are the rules of engagement. And if you're doing something hurtful, I'm just going to lovingly realign what your expectations are. So then you can get it right. Cause I know you want to. Well, I think you hit it on the head right there. A big key to it would be not just saying what the needs are, what the boundaries are, but how you say it. Totally. Yeah, it's it's how the delivery is. I mean, the how is always more important than the what and the why is the most important thing of all. Like how you let people know is critical. Absolutely. So I'm really excited because your TED Talk is coming out on November 21st. First of all, where are we going to be able to see it? It's online. Um, it's a virtual event. Um, if people sign up for my email 
list. Um, I'll be sending out the link so you can get Eventbrite tickets. Um, they're free tickets, but I'll be sending them out through that um, really soon. Actually, want to hear a funny story? I want to hear a funny story. You don't? Damn. I do. Okay. <laughs> Am I not excited enough? Oh my God, tell me a story. Give me your radio voice. <laughs> tell me a story. Okay. Um, all right. So <clears throat> the original event was supposed to be held in Boston in person. Yay. I'm excited. I'm from Boston. I miss my family. going to fly home, do all the things. It's going to be great. Then uh, COVID. Just kidding. It'll be held eventually. Stay tuned. All right. So then they tell us in the summer, okay, now we're actually going to do it, but it's a virtual event. Oh, all right. So now I don't get to stand on a stage. I now have to find a stage and record remotely. Oh, all right, cool. I can pivot. Then because it's a virtual event now, it's like, oh, we'll invite everybody. Nope. Couldn't do that. So <laughs> I invited everybody. And then I had to send out a big email to my whole email list. Hey, yeah, I just uninvited you because I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about like feeling like capital A wiener. Oh my God, I felt like such a loser. So then because I like, I was so upset, right? I was like, oh my God, like I wanted to share this with my family and ah, you know? And um, I wrote to the to the guys, I was like texting back and forth with one of the TED organizers. I'm like, but are you sure? Because like when you when you have your inaugural TEDx event, um, TED gives the TEDx organizers a license for only 100 attendees. That's and it? in having it vert, yeah, but they do that. And I'm guessing, I don't know what the reason is, but I'm guessing it would be to prevent lousy speeches from never seeing the light of day and being attached to the TED brand. As a marketer, that's what I, that's what I would probably safely conclude for me. It's probably wrong, but I'm going with it. Mm. Um, so anyway, I invited everybody thinking because, oh, it's virtual doors open. Nope. I assumed never do that. Um, then I had to uninvite everybody. That was fun. And um, because I apparently was so upset, um, they went to Ted and were like, you know, we really want this to be a public event. Change the license. So apparently Ted has said, sure, now you can have it a public event. Ha -ha, now I get to send out another email where it's like, okay, first I invited you, then I uninvited you. Just kidding. I'm inviting you again. Ha -ha. Stop toying with my heart. I know. Oh my God. <laughs> At this point, all I can do is laugh and just like sheepish grin like, Love you. Sorry. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I, I would think that the way Whatever. that they would, I, I figured the way that they, that they had done it would be, we want you to speak, write a speech, send it to us for our approval to make sure that, you know, it's, it's on par with our brand and what we you know want to promote. And then from there, you just go do the speech. But I, so it's I wouldn't think that. they would limit it um, to that. I would think that they would screen it first. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there has been this is the thing that surprised me. There have been screenings and screenings and screenings along the entire journey. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted to make sure that my speech was good, that my tone was good, that my like the 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 pace was good. My body language was good. Like they were literally coaching me through all of it, which I value because I really want to do a good job and I wanted to meet that like really high TED standard. Um, but they've been so helpful. They're like, yeah, you know, this is really good. Tighten it up here. Okay. Tighten it up there. Okay. This is good. This is great. Okay. And they also had to run it by the school because they're, um, you know, a, a college, um, is the host for this. So they had to run it by the college to make sure I wasn't saying, you know, something salty in the speech or something inappropriate that conflicted with school values. 
Um, you know, there's also TED guidelines. You can't talk about political things or um, self-promo. You can't do that Wouldn't anyway. But like they just wanted to make sure that it actually meets the TED standards. It was a whole stringent thing. You know, now that you say that, it does occur to me that I don't think because I've seen quite a few of them and I don't think I've ever heard anyone promote themselves like say, well, this is why I wrote my book or this is how I came to do this. It's pretty much here's my experience and my thoughts. Yeah. Because you're there to spread one big idea. And, you know, my one big idea is that happiness is the product of six mental habits. And if you master them, you will be free to have whatever you want. That's my big idea. Mm -hmm. I like that. You know, thank you. And, you know, sure, I wrote a book. By all means, this is not Ted. Go buy the book. It's great. I ought to know. I wrote it. (laughs) But like, (laughs) ever so slightly biased. Not at all, yeah. Right. Um, But like when you do this, I actually love, love TED Talks. I've always loved them because you're there to learn and people are there to share with you from a place of passion and abiding love for the subject. I mean, I've learned about things from like how to wash your hands to save more trees to sexual health, to the science of an orgasm, to um, like technology and cell phones in Africa. Like I love TED Talks so much because you learn, you know? And, and that's the thing. If you, if you approach, honestly, if you approach anything, even marketing in an educational way, it always lands better. Well, absolutely. I, and I think if you have people that are open-minded enough to really listen to the messages, there's so much that you can get out of every single one of them. I found ones that even if I'm not interested in the topic, I'll just sit there fascinating with with what I'm hearing. Oh, same. I've had that exact same experience. And it's like, I telling you, like, I've just, I've watched some really, really fascinating things. Like, was I really that interested in the five minute TED talk about how to wash my hands so I could save trees? Not really, but it was really good. And I was like, huh. That's an interesting point. So interesting, in fact, that I still actually wash my hands that way to this day. There you go. And you did it earlier. Yes, I did, because I like clean mittens. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. So I know that Nowadays, you're not. not. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Um, I know that you're not uh, somebody who can like really schedule like meditation to do that first thing in the morning. But is there something that you think people can can do just to get their like like uh, I know if you work out in the morning, it kind of gets your metabolism going faster for the day. Is there something that we can do mentally to just even help a percentage to to get us on the right path? Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the most easy things that we can do. Um, it's accessible. Anyone can do it. You can do it in the shower. You can do it while you're brushing your teeth. You can make your coffee. You can do it on a drive. You can literally just talk out loud or in your head and make the longest list you can possibly imagine of the people and situations that you're grateful for um, as you begin your day every day. It's it's easy. It realigns your perspective, immediately puts you in a state of appreciation and bonus points for those people that can actually find the aspects of problems that they can be appreciative for. Like I was in an abusive relationship when I was 19. Am I grateful that the guy kicked the crap out of me? Not really, but I'm really grateful that I'm a tough little so-and-so when I got out of it. I'm grateful that um, it revealed the strength inside of me. I'm grateful that it... Um, taught me about forgiveness, you know? So 
after all of the things that you've been through and and all of the things that you've learned, are you able to look at your surroundings and your things in your life now and and feel that gratitude that you weren't able to feel when you had that first business? Oh God, all the time, all the time. Like, you know, I I practice gratitude. Like it's it's a like it's a lifestyle. It's now the lens that I you know look around through through my whole life. You know, I say hello to my kitties, and I'm just like, oh, I'm so grateful you're in my life every day with your cute little fuzzy butt and your little buzz buzz and how much you love your mummy and. You know, like I, I look at my dog who's getting older, who has the most epic eye boogies. They're so gross. Um, and I just look at her and like she farts at me and just looks up at me like she's so proud of herself. And I'm like, oh, girly girl, it's been 12 years and I am so grateful I've had you this long and I get to be your mama to the bitter end. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for the little lizards that walk on my condo building. I'm so grateful for the, you know, the fact that I've got a great car that can get me from point A to point B and I'm going to drive it till the wheels fall off. And, you know, I'm grateful I get to see sunshine every day and I'm grateful I get to meet awesome humans like you and, and share Aww. the message of like love and possibility. I mean, hell yeah. Yeah. Like I feel so good. You know, I used to do, and I really need to get back to doing this, but I used to do a gratitude journal where every morning I would just pick five things and I would write them down and they could be anything and they could be objects, they could be people, they could be, you know, solutions, whatever they were. And I would start thinking about them and think about not just the thing itself, but where it came from. Like, let's say, uh, for example, um, a cupcake that you get at a store. So you start thinking about the cupcake and you start thinking about the person that made it and then how they got their ingredients and then the person that shipped their ingredients to them and then the person that manufactures the ingredients. And, you know, when you start really deep diving into everything that goes into whatever it is that came into your life, there's no way you can't feel incredibly grateful for that thing. That's that's so true. I mean, you know, I think we we all get in the habit of just taking our lives for granted and you know, taking the people in our lives for granted and the situations. And, you know, look, so obviously the six habits has six habits. Gratitude is one of them. But, you know, there's so much more to gratitude than what we're talking about here. And I just want to be really clear about that. Um, You know, we need to really reframe our relationship with gratitude. Like, you know, you ask for something simple, that is something simple. But reframing and shaping our entire perspectives and the way we look at life through the lens of gratitude, that is where it gets tricky. And, and that's where I break it down for you inside the book. You've got all the free tools that help you to actually unpack it, figure out what your unique journey is going to look like. You know, like we talked about earlier, you can take the quiz, you figure out exactly how happy you are. Gratitude is one of the aspects that's touched on. And um, yeah, more grateful people are happy. Well, I love that. I mean, that's really what I want to see more of in the world. And it's not hard. It's really not. It's just a matter of taking the time and focusing and doing it and then staying in that feeling. Correct. Well, the more you do it, the easier it gets. So, um, you know, I, I was starting my journey of trying to like find happiness, and all other stuff from a place of very much not happiness. So was it really easy to start? No. Sure. But I got results right away. And I started feeling better right away. And that was some momentum I could get behind. I was like, oh, hell yeah. I haven't even been doing this long. And I feel amazing. Just the feeling amazing kept me going. I can't wait for tomorrow, boy. That's the thing. I think if people were doing the things that made them happy and they felt that way, they would start doing them more and, and, you know, give themselves more uh, appreciation of even, you know, of their own self. 
But I think that's the hard thing is finding that place where you can get on that that ride, just yeah. getting on that ride in the beginning. But once you're there, I think people would probably stay on it a lot longer. Oh, totally. I mean, that's, listen, happiness is the only addiction I endorse. Nice. Not podcasting? Oddly enough, no. Because <laughs> um, you can, one can lose their voice. I was going to say it should be the seven habits, but. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, like I, I'm actually, I've always been fighting an addiction in my life. I'm addicted to only one thing. Uh, and that's work because I love it. Right. And as much as I try to rationalize, oh, but it's fun for me. Yeah. Your body don't know the difference. It's still work and it's still hard on your body. So I constantly have to consciously fight that one. Um, you know, I suppose if I actually, you know, gave it tons and tons of my attention, I could probably figure it out really fast. But um, I just always liked it. You know, I still do. Like for me, the thrill of being to create something to help someone, to have an exciting conversation where I get to meet another soulmate somewhere else in the world. Like I get so damn charged up or like solving a problem for someone. Like I was talking to somebody today uh, for my marketing company who's like, all right, so listen, we've been around for 10 years. We need to make more money. Here's the problem. And I'm like, ooh, and I can feel like all the neurons in my brain just like popping like popcorn. And I'm like, ooh, I get to solve a problem. Ooh, how exciting. And I get so excited and fired up because like these are interesting fascinating questions, conversations, like riddles. And it's like, life is fun, you know? It absolutely is. It really can be, you know, but it's up to us to to appreciate it and make it that way. Um, yeah, you have to choose it. For sure. And follow through. Um, the mm -hmm. last thing I, I wanted to ask you about one more thing uh, before we, we wrap up here. Um, you also work as a life mastery coach. How How do people know when it's time to find you? Wow. That's a good question. Um, I think when people are sufficiently frustrated with only getting so far on their own, um, and you know, you can also, there's lots of other coaches out there, you know, life coaches, um, business coaches, whatever. Um, I'm a unique brand of coach and I only work with, uh, five clients a year. That's wow. it. Um, so, well, yeah, it's by design because I give 150% to every single client. Like you can call me whenever you want. You can text me whenever you want. I will get back to you. We can voice text back and forth. Like I am going to hold your hand on this journey called life. Like you're not alone. If you're upset in the middle of the night and I'm awake, you let me know. Like this is important to me and I cannot give my all to a lot of people. Furthermore, like in order for me to fully jump in the car with you, I need to be intimately involved in your life and I need to be a big part of it. And I'm also qualified in different ways than other coaches are. So I am an executive, 21 years in the CEO seat. So I've been dealing with executive things. I've been doing entrepreneurship things. I know marketing. I know publicity. I know branding. I know writing a book. I know how to get a TED Talk. I know how to build networks and how to build communities, exit strategies, how to retire early, how to build wealth, how to build relationships, how to do all these different things. So I kind of have the recipe for success for a person who either has entrepreneurial dreams or they are an entrepreneur, or they're an executive, or something, and they're looking for 360-degree life mastery. I want to be happy with my marriage. I want to be happy with my children. I want to be happy in my work. I want to be financially free. Okay, I can do all of that. I got you. I think, I think that's really interesting because it seems like a lot of the coaches out there, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I really don't pay that much attention to the world anymore. 
but it seems like most of them are are focused on wealth. Like everything is about money only, and they're not really looking at well-rounded life. I'm looking at total wealth, wealth in your heart more than anything else, because the money is nice. Believe me, um, money's great, and I can help you have tons of it. But when you're a happier human and you have spiritual wealth, you have emotional wealth, you have like romantic wealth and family, and you have wealth within you. The money gets easy, and at the same time, it stops mattering as much. Mm-hmm. When we assign so much value to material things like money and boats and blah blah blah, it seems so hard. But when, when we stop taking it so seriously, and it's just fun, money comes freely and easily. But there are real skills to be learned within it, such as, you know, this is the way that you need to be managing your money. This is how you multiply your wealth. This is how you figure out like things like exit strategy. This is how you grow your company. You know, there's not just make more sales. There's also like, you know, time equity and other concepts like that. Like, you know, the the whole real wealth of life is your time and how joyful you are in the time you have. Because money you can make more of. You can never make more time, but you can make the time you have infinitely joyful, richer, and more satisfying. Like if I've got five hours, I could spend those five hours working, which sometimes I choose because I love it, right? But when my husband's busy, cool, this is what I want to work on. Or I can also, and sometimes I often do, yeah, I'm going to the beach today, bye. You know, like the truest level of joy we have in our lives and the truest measure of wealth is the freedom to do whatever we want with our time and have that investment with our time give us returns of joy. That's absolutely true. You can't see it, but I've been sitting here nodding my head this whole time. I think nice. part of the problem is, is that we tend to, because again, back to that programming, we measure that success by how expensive my car is, how big my house is, Um, you know, those kind of things that are all material based. And, you know, I don't care if you have a big house or you live in an apartment. I care about whether you're a good person, whether you're happy. That's right. And, you know, it's a crazy thing. And, you know, I've, I've been on a lot of shows and, you know, sometimes the, the hosts like really pump me up and sound like I'm, you know, make me sound like I'm Rockefeller. And I'm like, uh, okay. I mean, I'm not, but, um, I live, you'd be surprised. Like I'm kind of like the millionaire next door. Like I live a very humble life on purpose because I'm no longer free from needing to impress other people or needing things to make me happy. I'm going to drive my car till the wheels fall off because I don't care. It's just a car. You know what I care about? If I have a thousand dollars to spend on a better car or airfare to buy it for my parents so they can come visit me in the islands. Yeah going on airfare because I focus on joy. Like, do I live in a fancy schmancy, beautiful home? I do, but a very tiny one. Like I consider 1800 square feet to be kind of tiny, but like I can see the ocean from my pillow and that's exactly what I wanted. So I'm living the dream. There, uh, there's nothing better than that. No, no, definitely not. And like, that's the thing. Like I prioritize and you know, whenever I make an Uh, any sort of investment, it's like, hmm, what's more important, my financial security and keeping this uh, working hard for me in my portfolio? Or does this make more sense for me to do this now? Hmm. You know, it's not about like an emotional scratch or itch that I need to scratch, you know? I think the other side of it too, speaking of scratch is so let's say that you buy your expensive car, your dream car, whatever, and you buy your, your seven bedroom house. 
you're going to become a slave to those things. And ultimately, those things are not going to make you happy. Anytime that the smallest scratch comes on that car, you're going to freak out about how much it's going to cost to repaint it or a chip in the windshield and then try cleaning your seven bedroom house every couple of weeks. I mean, it, it really outlives the joy just by the nature of what it is. I know. Can I tell you another stupid story? I'm going to assume your answer is yes. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I remember when I was in my 20s, right? I really, really wanted people to think I was successful, Mm -hmm. right? And I really wanted people to just admire me, respect me, take me seriously. And like, I wanted to feel so desperately that I belonged at the table, you know, with all of the know, executives that I sold to and hung out with. I wanted to felt like I, I, I wanted to feel like I belonged there. So I remember I actually saved up my money and um, I purchased my first designer handbag. Now, obviously the men in the room, they're not going to get it, but you know, call it a Rolex. Okay. Okay. This is, this is your Rolex, right? You just, you want the status symbol. So I got my status symbol. I saved up and I bought myself a $2,500 leather handbag. Wow. I bought it. I loved it. I idolized this thing, this oh, supple leather. I mean, there's something to be said for customer service, as I would soon find out. But like when you buy really well, it shows, right? It lasts better. They pe- they treat you better. They, they stand behind their product better because they can afford to do so. So anyway, I was married to my first husband and I love this bag. And it was like the pride and joy of my whole wardrobe. I wore it all the time. And one day, my ex-husband was in the kitchen and the handle flopped over into an open candle that was lit and it burnt the handle of my $2,500 bag. When I saw it, I literally wept like a damn fool. I wept. Okay. Because I felt like I didn't, I couldn't, afford to replace it. I couldn't buy another one. I felt like my dreams of finally belonging were like dashed. I mean, I'm like cringing at myself so hard right now as I'm telling you this. But like, I look back on that and I like, I look back at my like 26 year old self with so much love and I just want to put my arm around her. Honey, you never needed the bag to make you better. You know, you're always wonderful exactly the way you are. Also, that's what you get when you buy bougie shit because they actually stand behind their product. Turns out I could send it to New York. They didn't charge me a nickel and they just uh, replaced the handle for me. Thank God. But like, I just remember how I felt and like the massive, like weird awakening I had. I was like, I am a slave to this object and what this object I have allowed into my like area and my space to like define me as. And I was weeping for the loss of the identity I associated with it. Right. And it was like, I look back and I'm like, wow, that's so sad and so pathetic. I mean, anyone listening, I hope you're nodding in agreement. Yes, sad and pathetic. Yes. But like we do dumb crap and no one's looking. And that's the dumb crap that I did. I also had a big, crazy, obnoxious home that was way too big. And cleaning it was a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. It was an absolute... Sucked. I think that... There's obviously there's the, you know, I just spent all this money on this thing and now it's gone and I don't have it anymore. But I think more importantly is that psychological factor of watching your status being burned up and saying you don't belong here. And if you try, you're going to get burned. Yeah, it was pretty symbolic. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just I remember how much that hurt. And I also remember like kind of like the major Oh, kind of epiphany that I had afterwards when I realized how foolish I was being to like, A, 
purchased something that was well beyond my means at that point in time. It really was. I mean, I saved for it. It's not like I put it on credit, but that $2,500 I could have bought, I don't know, anything that would have actually like been more useful to my life. I could have, um, paid for a really wonderful trip to explore the world and enrich my life and grow myself. I could have, um, you know, put a down payment towards, um, you know, a home. I could have done any of those things, but instead I chose a material thing based on my insecurity and wanting to like put a balm over the insecurity. And by the way, lots of people do that with their fancy cars and their fancy handbags and fancy wallets and fancy watches and cars and homes and yada, yada. Yeah. No, they, they absolutely do. And, but the idea I think behind it is if I, if I invest in myself, I put quote marks in the air that you can't see, but if I invest in myself, (laughs) I will be able to get to the point where I can have anything I want because I'm spending this money to start hobnobbing with the right people that will connect me with that. Sometimes energetically, it actually can have that effect. And, you know, I've, I've lived that as well. I mean, you know, but The thing is, there's only just so much that fake it till you make it will get you. Um, What I would rather do is I would actually rather rather associate with people that see my value um, and appreciate me for who I am and they are where or who I want to be, you know? Um, that's more inspirational to me than trying to look the part. Like I've, I've seen a lot of people that look like they're really successful. Their asses are deep in debt. Like, you know, they've got the home, they've got the boat, they've got the second home and the, this and that. And it's like, okay. And I remember actually coaching a client like this. Once we started talking about his finances, it all came tumbling down. He's, I was like, where is this pressure coming from? And all this shame shame came pouring out in tears. This poor man was like in a pile on the phone with me. He was so ashamed, you know, in front of his wife and everything else because they were something like, I don't know, like $150,000 in debt because they'd gone on all these fancy trips and they had these designer dogs and they had a boat and they had really fancy cars and their daughter went to private school. I'm like, why the hell are you living beyond your means? Why are you doing this? And he's like, well, you know, this is just the life we wanted. Yeah, but baby, you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Well, how many lottery winners go broke within the first two years because they don't have a concept of money? They think, now I have an endless supply. I can do all the things I've always wanted to do. And they don't. Correct. But the thing is, you know, having a lot of money does not teach you about how to have it or keep it. It That's just right. gives you a lot of money for, and, and your old habits will still prevail. But, you know, when you learn about money, how to have it, how to multiply it, how to respect it, that's how you truly become wealthy. And that's how you actually multiply your assets because you have a different relationship with money, you know? Mm-hmm. And and just, just so that it doesn't, you know, show that I'm judging people for their decisions, because that's really not what I'm trying to do. I'm really just making more of a general statement about things I see. Um, I, when I was sitting at that bar, watching that progressive slot machine money go up and and I stopped it and I said, here's what I would do. Not only did I really not give myself anything until the very end, I didn't set myself up for a future. I didn't set myself to be able to live off of that money and not have to work for years to come. I did absolutely nothing in my head. To Now, my actual actions might have been different if I had that money, but even, even in the thought process of what would I do with it, I did nothing for myself, no house, no future, I didn't have enough money to buy a decent car. You were busy spending it. Yeah. 
Exactly. And most people do that. I mean, most people do that. Like, us. So my husband and I have very, very differing views around like wealth management, money. Um, you know, he tends to be much more loose with his expenses. I tend to be extremely tight. Um, I, you know, I just, I, let, I enjoy keeping money because that's how wealthy you truly are because that's what affords you the luxury of time. And, um, you know, we were talking one day about this and I was like, so it was such an interesting conversation. He's never going to listen to this. So I feel free to somewhat throw him under the bus. He's not going to care. <laughs> um, he's loads of fun. He's a good guy. His name's Amadeo. And um, we were talking about $100,000. I said, now, honey, if you earned $100,000 or you won $100,000, I would think, and I made this erroneous assumption, that I would think that you would have more respect for the money that you worked for. And you would be more careful with where the money goes, how you spend it, et cetera, et cetera. And he surprised me. He's like, nope, opposite. You're kidding. Hmm. He's like, no, absolutely. It's my money. I can do whatever the hell I want with it. I want to spend it. Really? What about the money you won? Well, that would feel like a gift and I would have to be responsible with it. Hmm. Huh. You're an interesting human. Okay. I get a lifetime to figure you out, Carl, you know, because like... <laughs> I don't, I don't agree, but okay. Um, and it was just like such an interesting perspective. I mean, like full, full disclosure, like I'm not judging him. I just found it interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's like, you know, if you were just handed like a six figure sum, just as a check, like for me working for that, and I've been handed a six figure check before I've never won one, but like I've won, you know, small amounts of money. I won like $300 here and I've earned $300. Like this is the most I've ever won because I'm not much of a gambler. But like, I remember the feeling like the $300 that I won felt like mad money, but the $300 that I worked for, I infinitely respected it more, you know, because I, I put so much into it, right? Right. And you you look at whatever you did with that money and you you look like, let's say that you bought yourself something that you needed, even if it was something that you needed. You know, like I had to replace my washing machine and I used the money that I worked for to get that washing machine. Every time you go to do a load of laundry, you're going to think about how hard you worked for it. Whereas if it was a gift, right. you're probably not even going to notice it most of the time. The only exception I'll make for that is my coffee maker, which was a gift. And I will be grateful for that thing until the day I die. <laughs> That's awesome. I also, listen, to your point, I kind of think my husband might be a little bit full of crap because I remember... Um, before COVID, he had a really, really good job and he was making a lot of money. Um, you know, but he was working in tourism, tourism died here on the island. So, mm -hmm. you know, you know what happened. And I do remember how respectful he was of his money. And he was like, he was like super judicious. This goes to this, this is going in investment. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, so when we were having this conversation, I was like, are you sure? Cause I remember the last time you were making bank <laughs> and you were like, really like pinching those pennies really hard. Like Lincoln was screaming. Are you sure? <laughs> well, if anyone ever hands me a six figure check, I will happily call you and let you know how I felt about it. Please do. Cause <laughs> that really is interesting. And then, well, also how you feel about it, but then what you actually do yes. those are, might be two different things. Very true. Just like I said, if I were sitting at the bar imagining what I would do with that money versus actually somebody handing me a $400,000 check and me going, okay, here's what I'm actually doing with it were, would probably be completely different things. Also, if, I, if somebody had to be the check, I would not be making those decisions after a couple of glasses of white Russians. 
<laughs> no. no no are you kidding me like i like i like to have those conversations just you know offhand you know after a couple of martinis with my girlfriend so if you won a million dollars today and you didn't need the money and all your bills were paid what would you do with it your house was paid off like it was truly frivolous money what would you do with it you know and and those conversations are just kind of fun because it's like huh especially after a couple of martinis, you get mm. to see what you really care about. <laughs> right. You know, it's not just like, Oh my God, you know, I would just get like 15 diamonds. No, you wouldn't like, what would you do? You know, most of the answers that I get from people, it's usually like, you know, once we stop being selfless, our selfish answers usually are about like vitality. Like, Oh my God, I want to travel. You know, I want to have a home here in like Tuscany somewhere. Oh my God. They tend to be like joyful things, you know, and giving to others is truly joyful. Like if someone were to hand me like, let's say a million dollars today, um, yeah, without question, I'd be like, okay, well clearly hello, second home in Tuscany. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, by the way, mommy, daddy, I'm hiring global movers. We're going to go ahead and pack your shit because you're coming. There okay, you go. that sounds fun. And like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to have all the things. We're having homemade gelato every day. And yeah, it's going to be wonderful. Like, but to me, it's like quality of life. And, you know, I'd probably still drive an older car because I just don't care. But it might be a Maserati. Might be <laughs> an older Maserati. <laughs> Maybe wow. they are sexy Italian-made cars. There you go, and they go with gelato, so you're all set. Yeah, they do. But I'd probably, oh my god! But then again, you know, the expenses go up because you have the gelato. Then you're going to need the personal trainer to get the weight off. That's right. Yeah. See, it's where does it? Lord end? knows if I have gelato, mm -hmm, I'm going to blow up like a tick. <laughs> <laughs> Try living in Vegas with these milkshakes that are basically a meal for four people. I can't listen. We have those like shake shacks and whatever, um, in the Boston area that I'm from. And I remember going in one and like, I'm like, people drink this. Is this like, because what is this? Is this a liquid or a solid or what is this? <laughs> like, cause I don't eat that stuff. Like, I don't know if you've seen like photos of me, but I'm like pretty, pretty skinny. Um, and it's not that I'm like, you know, judging people for like, oh my God, you have carbs. Ew. No, it's just like that stuff makes me yak after a few sips. Cause it's so rich. Like I can feel my, my filling and my tooth really hurt. It's just so sh like mm, sugary. Right. I feel like gelato, you can eat slower. That might be why I'm okay with it. I don't know. And it's usually a smaller serving anyway. But I, first of all, I'm That's true. I, you're my friend just because you did a great Valley Girl impersonation there. But I, I'm talking <laughs> about the kind of shakes where the cup is coated in like a, a cream and then they put candy around the cup and then they're putting like slices of cake on it. The, the thing is pouring out of the, the cup as big as the cup is. I mean, these I've things seen are, those. They're so sinful. They're insane. I mean, really, four people should not be eating one of those things, let alone one person by themselves. I got no. one as a treat one time, and I think I ate a sixteenth of it, and I was about to go into a coma. Oh my god! Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. Um, yep, I remember. Um, do you do you see that movie Wally? I did. Okay. Do you remember how all the people, like all the very like. Uh, humanoid fat people were like floating around in their chairs with their like meal in a cup. That's what one of those shakes sounds <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. Except nowhere near the nutrition level. No. Today's meal in a cup is red. 
Laura, you have been so generous with your time. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I'm really excited about your TED Talk. I'm going to have the link to your website in, uh, in the show notes so everybody can sign up for your, your email. And um, I'm, I'm just so excited for that to happen for you. But also, um, you know, the, the six habits, so important. It's on Amazon. That link is also in the show notes. So go check it out, people. It's, it's definitely something that, you know, it, it, everything has the potential to change your life. It's what you do with it. Amen, my friend. Thank you so much for having me a part of this conversation. It's been a blast. You're one of my new besties. Yay. I love this. Excellent. Well, Yay. I have had a great time. We'll definitely do this again. Yay. All right. I'm in. <laughs> Take care, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. How fun is this lady? She's an absolute blast. So down to earth, not, you know, I have to be a salesperson and just really starchy and whatever. She's like as real as it gets. So go check out her website. The link is in the show notes. Check out The Six Habits. You can also get it on audio on her website and stay tuned for her TED Talk coming November 21st, 2020. And go to her website, take the quiz, and you should be getting the link to the TED Talk. So thank you guys for joining me for another week of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please remember to go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Leave a rating or review for the show. Apple Podcasts is the best spot. Thank you guys for listening. I'll be back this coming Wednesday with another episode before we end with the year end break. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.